Caloundra City Private School is an independent, non-denominational school located in Pelican Waters on the Sunshine Coast. The mantra for our school is every student matters. We aim for every child to be confident, resilient, organised, persistent and social in all aspects of their lives in and out of the classroom. This podcast series is designed to share valuable insights from academic leaders on current educational research and perspectives as we all strive to help our young people reach their potential in today's ever-changing world. As our senior students progress through schooling, the inevitable question of what to do after graduation begins. But what does the current university and employment landscape look like? What important skills do our teens need to succeed? And how have social and technological advancements influenced the jobs of the future? In this episode, I talked to Dr Jane Fines-Clinton, Program Coordinator for the Bachelor of Journalism and Lecturer in Journalism at the University of the Sunshine Coast. As a journalist of almost 30 years, Jane has worked in metropolitan news, features and magazines. She is passionate about the profession and its future and is dedicated to helping prepare students to take their place in it. Dr. Jane Fines-Clinton, thanks for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. Now, Jane, you're an expert in journalism and public communication and communication skills. Can you tell us the importance of communication skills for today's high school graduates? Um, This is a very connected generation and it's a very connected future professional cohort coming through. Um, So communication skills have never been more in need or, or more desired in a workplace. However, we also have a generation that is largely lacking in the basics of um, face-to-face communication. So we find we have to make um, spend a great deal of time developing confidence in oral skills. Um, they're quite comfortable visually because they, they're the most photographed generation um, ever. But um, we do have to spend a great deal of time on the basics of you know, not only written communication, but also, um, you know, face-to-face verbal communication skills. Um, and those, those skills are going to be adaptable regardless of changes in the workplace when these, this cohort become professionals. Do you find that that's changed over the, over the years, that um, students nowadays are, are struggling a little bit more with that? Yes, and I find that quite bizarre. We, we have noticed a, a degradation of those skills um, at university level. So, These are students obviously that have one entry or earned entry to university, but we do find they're not ready, they don't have the polish or the uh, understanding of the need for different adaptable skills and communication for different um, contexts. So we'll get to those specific skills in a moment, but what do you attribute that decline to? Um, I think we have a generation to some extent or or groups that lack a bit of uh, I think it's resilience, apart from anything else, but also context, because they've been in a group that have been allowed to um, kind of be themselves, I suppose, more than any other generation. They don't understand that there are certain, you know, you don't write in tech speak, for example, um, when you're communicating or you're submitting an assessment. Um, And that's exaggerating it to some extent. I mean, we do have some, obviously, that have good skills, but... um, in my discipline of journalism, for example, there's a certain way of writing and it's not it's different from an academic context. So they need to understand that those skills, you know, you can have that 
you know, um, spice rack of skills, you've got to know which one to pull out, you know, for the specific context it's used for. Well, let's get to those different areas. Um, in terms of science and mathematics or engineering fields or mm-hmm. medicine, communications, what, what are those specific skills that you'd use in those contexts? It's very interesting you ask that because I get a lot of even academic colleagues that talk about how lucky I am that I can write, which I find quite curious. So even if you're involved in that STEM area, you still have to be able to communicate what you know. So it's one thing to have that knowledge. It's another thing to be able to communicate it in a way, you know, in this current world, you have to be able to do that in a concise, easily acceptable, easily understood way. And And the people involved in that field really struggle to be able to express themselves simply. They might have that knowledge, but the expression is what's lacking. So I would argue that, you know, communication or clear communication, public communication skills are necessary for every career in the future. Um, if you, it's one thing to know something, it's another thing, you know, if you can't tell the world about it, then how on earth are you going to gather support or understanding of what it is you do? Um, and that's never been more needed, I would suggest, because we don't have the patience of trawling through an academic paper or a study, um, we want it in, you know, 150 words. Um, and that's, they're the skills that are lacking, I think, in particularly in this sort of new wave coming through. So how do you teach those skills? You get right back to basics. And we, we it sounds very simple, but um, we actually have to start with the building blocks um, again. And, and those students that are very... Um, you know, adaptable or bright or have embraced sort of the basics of English at year 11 and 12 level, um, see it as a refresher, um, but they all need their skills polished up. So we start with the basics, but we also extend that to some extent to um, to oral skills. Um, it is amazing how few um, of the current crop of students are really confident speakers. Um, for a generation that, that has been raised on pictures, um, they, they aren't confident generally in speaking in front of a group, um, particularly of strangers. So we do spend a lot of time doing that and we also work hard on their, um, their written skills. So we get right back to the basics and then we build quite quickly from there. We don't spend a lot of time obviously on that, um, but we do you know, have to cover that because we can't expect that they have those basics anymore. When we're looking at the jobs of the future and where various industries are heading, what are you noticing? Um, Noticing mostly that we're heading obviously to a digital space. The understanding of that is lacking in people my age and older. So in the 40s and 50s, we have this this people who who are producing work that has no physical form except on a website or you know in a in an app or um, in in a digital kind of it's 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 a very hard thing for people to grasp who aren't who haven't engaged in that in that space. So we get students, for example, that are getting jobs in involved purely. You know, they have nothing to show that they can hold in their hand and show that they do for their for their work, um, which is quite a mind blowing concept. It's sort of very Jetsons. It's very um, for, for for the generations before. Um, and they're quite happy with that. It used to be that you have to, you know, you'd clip things out of a newspaper, or you'd have a clip that you, was on the sort of the evening news. Now it's sort of, it might be a Facebook post or it might be, you know, um, put out, put in a, in the digital realm. So it's, I think that's the biggest change. I would also say though, that they need the basics to be able to get there. So they, the, the principles are still the same of communication. So the basic skills that they've earned, learned at uni, they just adapt that environment short sharp crisp clear 
visual space. That's essentially where we're at with communication. When we look at uh, the digital space, when does it when does it become critical for a student to be able to personally be involved in that space, like where their face is on screen, mm. or uh, it's it's their idea behind it? I would. I think that there, this that isn't an issue in that I think this certainly the ones in high school at the moment that we see coming into sessions, say at university are very engaged in that anyway, but they don't have a concept of what that means. So they might have their own social media space, they think they're talking to their friends, they don't have a concept that that is actually a public space. So they, so they think they're communicating in a private way, but it's actually a public space. That's where the adaption has to occur. They have to get their heads around the fact that whatever is on there is there forever, one way or another, um, and that they're responsible also for the content that they're posting. Um, and that they're also projecting an image of themselves that isn't necessarily um, always going to be flattering professionally. So when they get towards their final year of study, we have to spend a lot of time on, you know, clean, clean up your social media presence or your blog or your the contributions you've made to digital um, media because the first thing someone will do is, is look for you and it's easy to find you if you know where to look. So this is important, I think, because it's every field mm. that will draw on this. So you may yes. be going for a position in, say, engineering, but your digital space is, mm -hmm. is also important, yeah? Absolutely. So everyone, every single, it doesn't matter where you end up, everyone is projecting a public face to the world through social media. I don't really think anyone has avoided that, even with... You know, there's things like LinkedIn for older people. There's, you know, you're, you've really got to be mindful that you are, regardless of what you think, you're projecting an image. So, and I don't mean we should all be buttoned down, but you also have to be very aware of um, what is available to people. And, and people are very savvy, savvy about where to look and, and how to find information. So um, being a professional is, is a very different thing these days because there's that bleeding between personal and professional lives. Certainly work hours have changed, you know, in jobs of the future. There is that kind of flexibility, which is wonderful, and, and jobs even now. But it means that people, um, your private and your public life, there is a blurring. Let's talk about those jobs of the future. What are the emerging fields in terms of employment for our graduates? Mm, okay, I would... I think the emerging fields, um, again, a lot of it is to do with, you know, the digital realm, cyberspace, um, in, in that, um, in the way people communicate. I, I think they're actually adjuncts or um, mature versions of traditional careers. And I know that sounds strange and we don't have that discussion very often, but they are actually like a hybrid and adaptation of a traditional um, field into the new sort of cyber space. Um, so by that I mean it might be that you used to construct a contraption that did a job. You can now do that in a virtual way and then adapt it, you know, um, on so that people have access to it online or build an app that does the same thing or, um, you know, it might be a 3D printing thing instead of a construction, you know, in a physical form for an engineering project. So it's actually the same principles just the different delivery. Um, and I would say in my field, um, you know, we have journalists who are getting jobs. Um, they're still getting jobs as journalists, but the, the form of their work has changed. So it's really the same ethics, the same, you know, basics of how to construct your product, 
but it's actually the delivery that's different. I'm talking to Dr. Jane Fines Clinton. Jane, I believe almost as a teacher, there's two schools of thought in that we've got the science, maths path, and we've got the arts and humanities path or creative industries. Can you just talk to both of those fields and explain what the skills are needed and where the jobs are in those fields? Mm -hmm. And is there any overlap? Um, more and more there's overlap for sure. I think to be honest that's always been the way. Certainly when I went to school there was those two camps and there was a perception that in the math science, you know, engineering side of things, that's where the jobs were, that's where certainty was. Um, and certainly there are jobs in that. Pure maths, for example, there's a lot of, um, because of the, the, the need for data and understanding of numbers and um, and evidence and all of those things, so there's a lot of jobs in that space. But equally, I think there's a lack of understanding in the in the kind of the arts humanities end, and that and that is because the generation of parents who are raising the, the next crop don't have, they have this idea that it's nebulous, that there is no outcome, that you can't earn a living from it, that it's sort of they're just words. Um, when in fact there's never been a better time to be in communication. You know, we, we need, we have, you know, media advisors, public relations officers, marketing people, they all need communication skills. In my experience, and I've seen a lot of university students go through, the most important element for learning, and, and by learning I mean not just outcome and getting a degree, but actually, you know, learning um, meaningful, you know, material and, and understanding and being able to apply it, a student needs to be engaged in something they're passionate about. So forcing a student, we see a lot of students switching gears when they come to university, they start on one path and, and they just aren't on fire. Um, you'll never find a student who is more kind of passionate about life than when they're studying in a space that they enjoy. So I think there's too much head and not enough heart. And I know that sounds, you know, a little bit airy fairy, but as I always sort of say, go, go with what blows your hair back. Like what, work out what it is that, that you're naturally drawn to and, what, and not what's easy, but what engages you and study in that space because inevitably the jobs come. Um, it's far better to do that um, than to pursue a sort of a career or, or a degree and then end up in a field that you just don't love. Um, I don't see very many students that can successfully get through what is quite a rigorous program at university in something that they're not, you know, they're not really, really loving that they're doing because they think they should. So. I, I would encourage a hybrid. Um, I, I think we get a lot of students, for example, in communication that'll do some communication courses, but they're going to end up in, you know, in, in the science area or they're going to be a nutritionist, but they need, they want to know how to write. So there is definitely an overlap. And I would say people involved in liberal arts need a basic understanding of economics. They need a basic understanding of science because that's, you never know how you're going to apply those skills. And I, I would encourage, you know, definitely, a, you know, an overlap in both directions. Do you think that um, students nowadays, when they get to university, <clears throat> is there a high dropout rate? Yes, or, and massive. <laughs> can and you, and hmm, part of that is because is they're adults. Um, they've had a structure at school um, and parental support, and there's certainly parental support when they go to university, but suddenly they're, in, they're, con they're considered adults. They're much more autonomous. They're expected to meet you know, requirements without being reminded all the time. And I guess they're, what they're studying is a bit more refined. Um, 
I think the lack of structure in a very structured generation where they've had, you know, um, extracurricular activities, they know exactly what they're doing each day, they've got somebody kind of, and they're a daycare generation too, they've had, they've had supervised everything from the day they're born almost, um, to suddenly come to university and be expected to, you know, basically manage. Um, I think a lot of them struggle with that. It, what's interesting to me is the idea of university is always very exciting to them, particularly if they're first in family, that it's just, they feel on a high, they're proud, um, they want to be part of it. They don't understand that it's actually not necessarily the generation. It's actually, it's a marathon, not a, not a sprint. So, and it is, you know, by its nature, I say this to my students, by its nature, it's meant to be a bit difficult. Otherwise, everybody would do it. Um, so it's meant to challenge them, and some of them really aren't ready for that. I'll tell you what, though, the ones that have a bit of a gap year, live a little bit, um, maybe work in, say, a service job of retail or, or, or hospitality and who come then to university are often are often more settled and more focused because a couple of things, I've got two theories on that. One, they've done a job that they don't, they don't want to do the rest of their life. They don't want to be working at the supermarket. And secondly, they've just lived in the world a little bit. They know a little bit more about managing themselves. So the ones that come straight from school, certainly a lot of them succeed, but you know they have a higher propensity to um, you know get their heads turned, I guess, by being adults and and you know and not quite ready for that responsibility of being um, autonomous. To develop skills in autonomy, mm-hmm. what can we do in high schools so that, that uh, students are prepared for university and mm. that they can go the distance? I think, um, I think there's such a focus on that outcome of, you know, of getting that score that, that I would like to see a little bit less hands-on by the end of grade 12 as far as reading drafts, um, parents supporting them through, you know, and even I would say probably having a little bit too much to do with their assignments, um, letting them fry occasionally, letting them, letting them fall and then offering them, you know, opportunity to pick themselves up. So I'd like to see, I mean, they're basic, I know they're, again, that sounds a bit vague, but it would be good to see them being a little bit more expected to stand on their own two feet and not being quite as supported. Um, that flies in the face of our system, though, which requires you know enormous um, support and supervision through those very stressful times leading up to the QCS and various other things. So I would just like to see them being allowed, I guess, to produce something that mightn't be of the most amazing standard, but at least it's all their own work. And that leads into the students that do succeed at mm. uni and that do go the distance. What are some of the qualities that they demonstrate? Organisation is massive. So they're the sorts of students that have, from the beginning of the semester, they've sort of basically worked out what's due when. They attend lectures, attendance, and that's the other thing I think about university, the big step, is that suddenly there's, it's not, you know, there's no mark for attendance. You're not, if you don't turn up, that's up to you. Um, but if you don't turn up, you're going to miss out on essential information. It's not available unless it's an online university course. Um, the idea of face-to-face and, and times is to explore the territory, you know, explore the landscape. Um, so I guess the ones that certainly succeed are the ones that are organised. Um, in a, in a uh, they know when assessments are due, they know what's expected, they attend. Um, and that they have a calm about meeting, like I know what's required and I know I'll manage it. Even if it gets really hectic, it will come to an end. You know, that, that they know that there's these waves of incredible busyness, 
but then it comes to an end and they'll be okay. I think there's, you know, it's that hope. The ones that really struggle are the ones that begin to ask for extensions. So, and I know that sounds, it sounds sort of dispassionate, but I think once you start saying, I can't meet that requirement, can I have more time? You're concertinaing your problems because it pushes everything back. It put, pushes it into the next assessment and the next assessment and life's not like that. You know, you can't always get extensions. Do you find that when students do get to university, their initial idea of what they wanted to study mm. changes? Yes, a lot. We have that a lot. And again, it goes back to that finding a passion, finding something that engages. If you're going to lead a professional life, it has to be in a, in a field that um, you feel like you can make a difference or make a contribution. And I think it takes sometimes takes students a little while to do that. And we have this interesting era where you can combine all sorts of things. So it might be that you combine, you know, back to that, you know, example. So nutritional sports science with communication or you know these hybrids which are kind of foreign to the to the previous eras um do exist and there are jobs out there you know as an outcome um the other i guess the other thing just going back to your question earlier the other thing that where students who succeed the ones that succeed um it's an enormous shift for students when they come to university to understand that asking for help isn't because you're failing that you're better to ask for support before you start falling over. I think school, you know, that kind of learning support or counselling or any of those things are regarded as only for those that are not not coping. Whereas at university, I would say access everything available to you, whether that's library tutorials or personal counselling or academic skills, you know, counselling, um, because they're all designed to help you succeed rather than prevent you from failing you know what sort of support do university undergraduate students get there's certainly no draft marking is there no draft marking so <laughs> yes be, and that's a big shock um, particularly for for students that come from um, private schools in my experience certainly that first year they're expecting that um, there is things like though revision so you can go in person and in those initial subjects and um, and get um, feedback on how general feedback on how you're going um, whether you whether you're kind of framing the information the right way um, there's all sorts of support for students with disabilities indigenous students um, anyone that has special needs of any kind um, but also generally for students it's that kind of um, there's also some who are living independently who are doing it tough financially I mean I know that's a that's a stereotype of the poor student, but they certainly aren't, I don't know any of them that are really flush with, um, with cash, even the ones that are supported by their parents. So there, there is support in, for that kind of thing. There's sort of cheap meals here and there's all sorts of support if people are um, you know, really struggling. So um, yeah, there's all manner of it, but it's a matter of actually asking. And I think that's probably a big struggle because young people come from this, this sort of idea that asking for help is, is for those that are weak and it's actually it's actually for those who are strong really at university level just to bring it to a local sunshine coast um, what are you seeing in terms of jobs for graduates if they do want to stay locally here mm. on the coast it, it is interesting um, certainly in my in my field it's a bit of a holy grail to um, stay on the coast a lot of the time they're expected and I think it's partly because we're a regional university but they're expected to sort of go out for a year even a year nine months of say work out in the country you know out in the out in west um but there, having said that there are certainly jobs on the coast we have um enormous industry emerging and certainly in the health space in, in in the sunshine coast and that i don't mean just nursing and doctor you know doctors um but also all that allied health area is we're becoming a you know massive hub 
Um, there's, there are enormous um, opportunities in the, there's a lot of sports excellence, so around that sort of um, exercise science, um, those sorts of spaces, because we have a lot of um, developing elite um, sports focuses in, in, that, in that space. Um, there are, there's a lot of construction going on, so a lot of engineering, um, those sorts of opportunities are emerging and that will continue, I would suggest, for the next 20 to 30 years. So you're talking about the current group that are going through are going to be able to find work on the coast in those, um, in those areas. As far as communications go, which is my area, um, there are certainly jobs here, but, and a lot of them, again, are in that um, local... So we, we still have local newspapers, we still have local television, and we've now got three stations on the coast, and they all broadcast from the Sunshine Coast for the whole of the Queensland coast. So um, there are sort of journalism jobs, and then multiple radio stations still exist. Radio was ahead of the curve, which is sort of interesting, because they were always immediate. They were always... Um, having to um, speak to their, the audience, you know, that they're projecting to, whereas newspapers and television are really quite old school and they've had to adapt um, and still clinging to their edition times, whereas radio has always been a dynamic um, area. So there are jobs on the coast. It's a matter of, I think sometimes though, adjusting your sights a little bit and getting experience if I need to come back. What about if you want to be an entrepreneur and start your own business? Mm. Um, and nowadays, technology really lends itself to that. We were mm -hmm. talking earlier about, you know, podcasting, for example. Um, entrepreneurial skills? Yes. And I was recently involved in a project, an entrepreneurship project, um, a startup weekend with students and, you know, developing um, things like developing apps. And again, apps require, and they're, they're, they're all the rage, aren't they? They require good visual um, written um, auditory sort of skills all round. So you can't get, you have to be able to communicate your idea and you've got to look for a need. So, and look for a hole in the market and meet it. We have um, little, I think it's probably unrealistic for people to think they can earn a living immediately out of something that's an entrepreneur, an, an idea, and therefore it's good to have something that is a, a kind of a, um, a template on which to, from which to grow. So have your business, have your idea, but don't expect to earn a living from that straight away. But there's certainly a lot of opportunity. We've got an innovation center here that is full of startups. So small organizations, small, small companies, almost companies that have got this idea and they're just growing it, you know? So yeah, incredible opportunities. And just finally um, today, Jane, what advice would you give a year 12 student who is trying to make that decision about their university course? They're not quite sure, they've got a few ideas, what would you say? I would say engage in it. Whatever you do, don't be paralyzed by not knowing what you want to do for the rest of your life. Because I don't think, I mean, even at my age and I'm, you know, late forties, I, you know, I'm still open to change. I'm still open to opportunity. So I would say whatever you do, start. Don't sit and wait for it all to fall into place and then begin. So once you engage in the university sector or, or postgraduate, um, sorry, post-secondary study, um, you will begin, it will begin to become clear. So even if it's a TAFE course or something small that's achievable in a short time, if you feel like you need that, that will not be wasted. They're, they're crediting those sorts of skills increasingly to a degree. It's not like it's going to go into become nothing. So I would say move, whatever you do, don't sort of become paralyzed by indecision. Um, engaging in some way in learning um, is going to be enormously beneficial one way or another um, almost immediately, but certainly down the track. And certainly, I suppose as well, I mean, what you start off 
uh, doing at university may change anyway and can change. That's right, and it will almost inevitably. Um, as I say, if you're adaptable um, to listening or deciding what it is you want to do, whatever whatever happens though, the worst thing it can do is disengage. Um, I think that's falling falling through the cracks is the biggest danger with young people leaving Year 12 because of their indecision. And I think if they're engaged at least in something, even if you have to you know be be nimble and change, um, it's better than not being in it at all. I suppose one practical um, consideration is that if you are applying for certain courses, you do need the prerequisite subjects. So there is some decision making that needs to happen relatively yes. early, sometimes grade 11. Except that we have the most amazing, the amazing opportunities for young people who don't have those um, prereqs to do bridging courses. So, I mean, there, there are ways around, you know, there's a terrible okay. saying, but there are many ways to skin a cat. Mm. Um, but, but it doesn't mean you're excluded. You, th there are ways of, of um, biding your time or, or starting off in one space and then moving over to another. If you want it enough, it will happen. And I think that's where this extraordinary focus on, on OPs, um, while I understand it, um, it, it isn't defining. So even if you don't get that magic number you want, it doesn't mean you're excluded in, in this current era. Well, at the moment, year 10s are deciding on their subjects for year 11 and 12, mm. um, sort of crystal balling into the future mm -hmm. and having to make those decisions. It's, it's hard to do as a, as a year 10 student. It is definitely hard to do. I would suggest the worst thing you can do for a 15 year old or 16 year old is um, push them into a space that is extraordinarily difficult because you think it will give them a good score. Um, they need to gain knowledge and knowledge isn't necessarily reflected in kind of the right subjects. It's actually reflected in something that they can, you know, that they have an affinity for or an interest in. So I would say don't um, push students into something that you think is good for them but isn't their cup of tea. Um, there's never, that's never been more important really because in the end they, they might struggle through chemistry or they might struggle through um, you know, something in the humanity, I don't know, history or something. And if it isn't for them, they're not going to um, achieve or have that knowledge base that they're going to require down the track for something that they are passionate about. Jane, it's been absolutely fascinating and I know that our parents and students will find your expert knowledge very valuable. Thank you for your time today. Pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Good luck out there. And if you would like to read Dr Jane Fiennes Clinton's research papers or newspaper articles, check the episode description for the links. This podcast was produced by Tracy Burton, featuring music by Paul Cusick. Thanks for listening.